the GovCon Secrets Podcast will take a deep dive into the government contracting space where you'll hear from a variety of expert guests on strategy, pricing, benefits, business tactics, and all this to save you a ton of money, time, energy, and effort. I'm your host, Jim Campbell, former Marine and CEO of Axum Fringe Solutions Group. My goal is to redefine the benefits world with a brutally honest view of how benefits, compliance, finance, and overall contracting strategy mixed with my years of experience and expertise can benefit you to deploy strategies to help your GovCon grow and win in the future, all the while without boring you to death. We're going to have fun. Let's start the show. Hey, everyone. Uh, Jim Campbell here, back with another show of GovCon Secrets. Uh, today, we have a very special guest. We're focusing back in the benefits space, but very near and dear to the Axum Solution is a great partner of ours. Uh, we have Caressa from Modern, uh, Modern Health, and she is the CEO, founder, and she's going to talk about what Modern does and how they're approaching to help the benefit space get better, faster, smarter, as well as how they've worked with us in the GovCon space and some of the things that they've seen lacking. So it's going to be a great show today. Um, but first and foremost, wanted to welcome and thank you, Caressa Hutchinson, for joining the show. Thank you, Jim. I'm excited uh, to be here and talk more about um, you know what's happening. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good show, uh, especially because you've helped us. You know, right before the show, we were talking about just some of the current clients you help us with, some of the things that you've seen. Yeah. Uh, GovCon's a little bit different, right? And you have these specified wages. So uh, we're going to talk about it all. Uh, this is kind of your chance to get your air out the grievances with the industry, oh, but man. how you can make it better. <laughs> but, you know, uh, one of the things that I like to start out with is just trying to get to know you. What gets you up in the morning? How'd you find modern? Uh, what was your impetus? And, you know, kind of tell everybody where you came from. Sure. So I, I like to say it was a total accident, to be honest. So background is, you know, I'm a farm girl from the middle of nowhere, Kansas. Actually started in the healthcare industry, kind of in a weird spot. So I actually started as a, in medical coding and billing and didn't realize how much I loved patients until I started that job. And, uh, you know, luckily the the physicians around me recognized how much um, you know I probably need to move into a patient facing type position because I was always bothering them with you know follow up like what happened to Angie or you know wanting to know more about the people that I was you know um, coding on. So they convinced me to come up and transition into a medical position. So. I was a medical assistant for a physician, got to do that for about two years, got to travel all over Kansas and help set up rural cardiac clinics, uh, which was just fantastic, um, really getting the help out to some of the areas where you know, there was these huge kind of gaps in care. So from that, realized, hey, I think this is for me. So went to nursing school and became a registered nurse. Um, after graduating, I went straight into a level one trauma hospital because I definitely like a challenge. And, Which it uh, is. That, that's a shocking challenge. It was a, it was a challenge and I loved it. I found my heart in pediatrics. So I was a pediatric nurse, worked in pediatric ICU, neonatal ICU, um, and really just with the pediatric population. So really taking Oof. care of both families in, you know, in, in what often is the worst time of their lives. So pediatrics. Oh my gosh. I can only imagine. Yeah, it was very fulfilling. You know, um, you kind of have to resolve that these are the things that are happening 
Um, and you can either put your head down or you can try to jump in and, and make it better for, for some of the families. So um, I really enjoyed that. I did not enjoy so much the healthcare system that I was working within. It seemed to you know, really be a big barrier a lot of times for my patients. I tried to be a good faithful worker and uh, built some kind of community outreach program that would you know, extend into the community where I saw the big gaps kind of lacking um, healthcare. And when I realized after a couple of years of trying to do that, that that was probably uh, not gonna be something the hospital funded, I walked away from the bedside, started handing out my phone number and just started taking patients for free on my own. So was very focused then on navigation and advocacy and just helping support people through the journey so they wouldn't end up in the hospital um, because a lot of the things were preventable. And, you know, a lot of families, um, if they'd had a little bit of help, they wouldn't have needed to be in the hospital in the first place. So I thought that all I was going to do is build something for myself, you know, just a job that I felt like I was really making a difference. And turns out there was a lot of need for what I was doing. So got up to a couple hundred patients pretty quickly and, you know, realized, oh my gosh, I think that, you know, I need to try to figure out how to make this bigger. So that was back in 2015. And so from there, you know, launched Modern Health and, and really as we've built it and grown, it's just been listening to the patients, hearing where the barriers are, hearing, you know, what's really getting in their way of healthcare and adding those layers to what we do as a company and, you know, bringing great clinicians, doctors and nurses now into the community and giving them the tools they need to really have a successful relationship and a successful, um, you know, overall journey with their patients to get people healthier. Do you find that those barriers that you talked about often overlap regardless of industry type? They're like almost people singing the same story. Yes, 100%. I think a huge misconception is that it's just uneducated people or it's just, you know, people with financial burden. Um, That is not the case. You know, in pediatrics, it didn't matter if the family is uh, educated, you know, and both parents are lawyers or if they're manufacturer workers or if they're teachers. It doesn't matter. The health literacy is so low that every single American struggles with how do I do the right thing? How do I get care? Um, how do I pay for it? Um, it's all this. It's very much the same across the board from my experience. I find that, that that's like some like by design, right? Like like almost like it's been set up because like you said, it doesn't matter if you're wealthy and super educated mm-hmm. um, or you're below the poverty line, um, yeah. especially in pediatrics. If it's your kids, you'll sacrifice hell or high water that's to right. make sure that that kid's taken care of. But what you don't realize is there's somebody on the other side of that equation trying to make money or they've found a way to make money. And that's what that if absolutely infuriates me about the system is that like you're trying to get to better health, a better solution, take care of your family. And then somebody's figured out how to manipulate that story yeah. or that that hurdle for you to make money. And who's ever going to question things when somebody says, I've got the way to cure or help. Right. And that yeah. that drives me absolutely insane about our healthcare system. Yeah. And and it actually takes advantage, to be honest, um, I noticed of the clinicians as well. Before, when I first started, I didn't understand all the payer side and all the behind the scenes things, which 
you know, as a nurse or a doctor, you go into healthcare because you truly have a heart for wanting to help people. And you think what you're telling them is, is helping them. Um, and you don't realize, I mean, I always look back on how many times I sent someone down to get an MRI on their way out or just come back to the hospital to do X, Y, Z at a convenience, knowing that the family was already you know, stressed out and, and trying to figure everything out. I thought it was convenient. And then later realized I was probably sending, like, what were the bills they got after that? Mm -hmm. I was probably sending half of them into bankruptcy. And that isn't disclosed to us as clinicians. You know, we, we think that we're doing the best thing. We think that the guidelines the hospital set or, you know, the certain care plans that we've been taught are all based on just wanting to do best for patients sure. and, and it's really taking advantage of both sides and, and leveraging this empathy that people have for their patients to really drive them into, you know, high cost care and um, often bankruptcy. Which is insanity because I'm sure nurses, and I don't know this answer, so you can tell me, do they have a version of the Hippocratic Oath that they take? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when people, like you said, people go into medicine because they truly want to take care of people. Yes, there's a financial windfall. People tell you to get educated because it'll lead to better sure. life for everything. But generally, if you've asked any nurse, you've asked any clinician, you've asked any doctor, any surgical professional, they're saying, no, I wanted to create a better life for someone. I wanted to save a life. I wanted to help people live better lives. And we've got multiple people on our side that were pharmacos and MDs and you name it. A lot of them have left the profession because of that hurdle of the insurance and or the payments or like locking people into a financial commitment that they'll never be able to meet. Yeah, it's it's very ingrained in us. Um, I, I notice it big time when I hire a new position and they're going through training with our company. They'll often start out and they might order something like an MRI without contrast or CT without contrast. And the nurse will say, but doesn't this patient need contrast if we're trying to discover, you know, X, Y, Z? And the physicians will have to catch themselves at first and go, oh my gosh, yeah, they do. I'm just used to having to order the wrong test first before insurance will approve it. I forgot, you know, I don't have to do that here. I, I can just do what I know is right. Oh my gosh. It's a, it's a big problem. <laughs> and it's like, so on this side of the fence, like the folks that are listening to this, they're in government contracting. And we have a couple different layers. So you have like the blue gray collar, which could be like Service Contract Act, Defense Base or Davis-Bacon Act. They're, you know, construction or they're working facilities, maintenance and security. And they live well. Like, I mean, they can make a good living. They can do sure. well. But the insurance is still the insurance. And they don't understand the plans that they're being sold necessarily. Right. They just say, hey, I have coverage. And then they hear you talk and say, wait a second. I just got that MRI for my kid who tore his ACL. And they said, just do it at the hospital. Yeah. And right. And all of a sudden people are starting to wake up like, wait, that hit my deductible. Cause I have a high deductible health plan yep. from my employer. You're telling to tell me that I could have gotten it at a better cost for the same exact thing that would have been less money out of my pocket. Yeah. And we're trying to wake people up to that because all too often they don't recognize. No, they can't possibly. And, and it's, it's a moving target. They don't have the resources to understand it. You know what I mean? So it's very eye-opening, which is why we're constantly just saying, just call us before you do anything. Like, let's oh. make sure you're getting the right care. Yeah. And it's funny because our clients do. I mean, we have mutual clients and they'll say like, uh, so wait, Modern's part of the renewal, right? Like I just went through that with one of our first client together and the CFO and his dad who owns the company 
We're like, wait, so modern's part of the renewal, right? Like, yeah, we already know that you're you're tight with your nurse. Like, we get it. <laughs> That's not changing. I'll leave before she does at this point. So, uh, no, but I, it's it's great. That's the result you want, right? After one year. Yeah. That's the first response that we get. And it's because so many people are like, it's not an embarrassing thing to make that call. It's not taking a lot of time. It's not having to relearn health insurance. It's literally literally that person that answers the phone and says, no, I got it for you. And then gets the answer and explains it. It's probably, you know, probably four or five years of having insurance locked up into one instance with somebody that can spend the time and speak it to you. Right. And, and it's personal. I think that, um, I think one of the barriers I didn't mention earlier is just mistrust. That's a huge piece. And people have, have had so many things happen to them. Um, they've been guided the wrong way so many times that I can't tell you how many people have just put their head down and said, I'm not doing this anymore unless I absolutely have to, I'm done. Yeah. You know, I don't trust the system. I don't want to use my insurance. I don't want to go to the doctor. I, I'm just going to stay out of it until I absolutely have to, which is, you know, clearly not a healthy way to live, but it's frankly what our system has, has done to a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then the other thing is everything should be a copay, right? And they don't realize the cost on the back and that's why their cost keeps spiraling forward and up. But it's again, that's, that's a mistrust. And then it leads to miseducation or no education about the healthcare system. And then we as advisors or as partners have to go out and kind of earn that back. And it's like every phone call, you're earning it back. I know as, as a, as a company that we provide benefits for our clients, we do the compliance, that trust is, is an every phone call thing. That's something we kind of hold on to here at Axum. But that's also why we go out and work with partners like Modern Health, because we can't take all the phone calls or we won't have the clinical aspect or have the inside knowledge of that, that care continuum. Do you find, and, and again, it's not really a sales pitch for you, but it's an honest question. Do you find that more advisors across the country are turning to companies like yours because they need that inside clinical help to answer a lot of these questions? Yeah, I think they're trying to solve it all kinds of ways. So yes, I do think that they're turning more to us. You know, we have to make sure that we're really smart up front about the partners that we choose. We've actually gotten pretty picky about which brokers we'll work with um, because we don't want to become part of the system like I talked about earlier, where they know they're going to be able to put somebody in front of employees that really cares about that employee and it's going to make them look good but then they don't have the plan built behind the scenes to actually support that person in a good way, which leaves our nurses extremely angry because they they want to go to the ends of the earth for, the, for their patients um, and our physicians. So to set them up in a, in a plan that isn't going to um, you know, really take care of their people is also, you know, because we're the ones at the front end that have to go back to that person and say, we know you really need this care. Yep. There's not a lot of options for you. Yeah. And that's healthcare right now. You're the one taking the bullets, so to speak, and or your team right. is. So did you find as you were a nurse, as you were working in the system, is that what wore you down or, or one of the things that wore you down the most? Or was it the actual like seeing people go through such hard times? No, the hard times. Um, it, I think as a nurse, you become rewarded by, of course, you don't want to see people go through hard times, but you know, like right now there's children's hospitals and hospitals all over with kids facing hard times. I mean, in my mind, you know, you can't just put your head down on that stuff and pretend it's not happening, like I said, or you can go try to be 
you know, make it better. And so that part was very fulfilling and actually very hard for me to walk away from. I had a sense of guilt when I first left on all the regular patients that I had advocated for and that, and that I knew had a relationship with me. So I could have done that until, you know, it was 120 probably. <laughs> um, the problem was feeling like, I hate to say this, but almost like a lack of common sense. <laughs> the problem was I'm sending someone home and we have all the science in, in America. Like we know what the care plan should be. We know how to get this person healthy. So I'm giving them these instructions and I know they're not going to be able to complete these things when they leave me. I know they're going to fall right back in the cracks. I know they're not going to be able to find the support they need. I know they're going to be, you know, basically left out on their own. And that doesn't feel right. You know, just like um, my early days of wondering what happened to the people I was coding on, I would I would obsessively worry about them. And I know they didn't understand those instructions all the way, but I had to get them out of the hospital before midnight. Mm -hmm. So I only got to teach them for 30 minutes. The second they leave me, they can't call back. You know, once they're out the door, they can't call me back and say, can you clarify, you know, something? I wasn't allowed to do that. And so just knowing that I was kind of, that they were going to be out on their own, that they're, that they weren't going to be able to, you know, take care of themselves the way that I would have taken care of them. And just knowing that they were going to fall back through the cracks, wore me down. Yeah. You know, I became obsessively worried about it and um, heartbroken by it, which is why I had tried to create the community outreach. Um, there just wasn't a lot of options for those people. And, you know, you just almost feel like you don't have a choice, but to try to do something. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think for where you are at, that might be a rural folks all the way into Kansas City where people have a lot of options, right? You, you, I'm sure you traveled and covered the mm-hmm. whole state of Kansas um, into Missouri there. And, and it's, it doesn't matter, right? Like you said, that no. literacy piece is, is the failing part. So they could have insurance, but they just didn't understand what it meant after they left your care. And that's, right. that's yeah, that's a really tough thing. I didn't even think about that. And I was a member of the system through the VA, that is a very different system because they, yes. they have to follow up. They have to see you through. Um, they're the ones who are paying the bill, so to speak, right? And right. Um, they have to get you back to as good as they got you before you got hurt or something, whatever happened. And that was a very different system. And then I come out and I had a couple surgeries outside and I was completely lost. And at that time, I worked for a healthcare carrier. Yeah. Right. So it's like, talk about illiterate. (laughs) Yes. And I won't call anybody out here, but I will tell you that we get calls from brokers that we work with all the time that might sell modern health as a service. They call us about their own insurance plan, you know, not understanding how to navigate it, using the ER, not knowing what to do. And so it, to expect that, you know, an employee that you give a one hour education to is going to be able to understand it when when those of us that live and breathe it, um, it's just insane to me. Yeah. Oh, and, and it changes your um, your utilization pattern, right? Because once you get into our side of the world and you see you've seen all of it, you know how to do the disputes and kind of raise the questions. It changes your utilization pattern. You actually end up using the system more. Right. Like sure. I found like I want I mm-hmm. do my checkups. I want to make sure that I'm healthy because I know what it costs and I know how to avoid all the BS and all the, yeah. the, the landmines. So that kind of leads me into, you know, you're in this industry now, you're working with brokers, you're working with clients direct as you've been building modern, as you've been trying to keep up 
what you do altruistically and spread it to more people across the country. Where are you finding some of the issues in delivery? Like where are you finding some of the pitfalls, so to speak, in, in not only growing, but continually delivering at a high level? Sure. Um, gosh, I feel like I need, I probably need a better answer for this, but I, I feel like we're really doing great with our execution. Um, I think it's, I think there's some reasons why though. I think it's because we don't grow faster than we know we can handle. I think it's that we've got um, constantly because the system is so broken. We've got nurses and doctors all over the country reaching out to us, wanting to learn more, um, so much so that I almost feel the burden as much as I do on helping patients that my mission also is is plugging these great clinicians um, into the, into a system where it's going to allow them to care for people. Um, a lot of the great ones, like you said, are walking away. And I, I, I can't tell you how many I have that are just waiting for a phone call for me to say, I'm ready for you to go in you know, XYZ state and you get to actually take care of your people now. Yep. So it, for us, it's really, it's that. It's also making sure that we align with the right partners it's making sure that we don't just take a deal because it's a high number. It's making sure that we know that when we do that deal, it's going to be the best thing for the employees and we're not going to be left. You know, like you said, you know, we're going to end up being the ones getting the bullet and we don't want to position our nurses that way. We don't want to position the companies that we care for that way. So very much so when I go into a, a new deal, I'm asking you know, if we find things for this patient outside of this plan, how do you feel about us using, you know, executing that or navigating away from the plan? And one of the dirty little secrets is some of the ones that are just focused on money will say, well, you're not going to send someone outside of the PBM, are you? Like, you know, you can't do that. And we're saying, well, if it's, you know, better for the patient, we are. So it's probably not a good fit for us. And there's becoming more partners like that, like you all and, and like several others across the country now that are really starting to understand, you know, that the patient has to come first and, and the dollars do follow. But we have to turn a lot of deals down to keep our execution level at what it is. That's important. That's really important because in GovCon, you know, I tell people all the time, if you're not constantly bidding or or winning, bidding and winning, you're dying and it's slow because the contractors only get one, two, three, five years of these contracts, they're trying to keep onto these people as much as possible because like everyone else, they're suffering to fill positions. But if that contract runs out and there's nothing else, the company goes away. Right. So, so these contractors are constantly getting new faces, new areas, right? So you might have somebody in Pennsylvania and then win an award in West Virginia and then a win an award that has people in 12 different states. Yeah. A lot of problems that I think brokers try to solve is, well, how am I going to reach all these people? My staff of whatever can't handle these people, five people in Maine and 25 in Texas and 25 in West Virginia. And I said, you absolutely can because there's so many open networks now. There's direct primary care. There's, like you said, going outside of a network and finding a better solution. Mm -hmm. And I learned that of all places from the Indian health system. And I, you know, when we had clients, they couldn't get to a clinic. The closest clinic was like 60 miles away and they didn't have a car. Right. Um, but then to go to a hospital, it was like 125 miles away. It's like, wait, <laughs> how are you taking care of these people? Yeah. 
And then it, it was it was completely mind-boggling to me that no one had really found a way to deliver and, and get people to these rural communities and you know places like New Mexico and, and all these other places. And I thought to myself, we have to find a better way. So when I was introduced to you all a little over a year ago, I was like, here's somebody that can answer questions and tell them the right things to do. And it didn't have to be a part of a PPO or a managed network. It could be, hey, we can have this delivered to you, this, this prescription. It's a fraction of the cost and, you know, really work with people as their plan sits right. and even outside of how it sits. And that's where I think, like you said, you might have to turn down some deals, right? Because the incentives for people to make money aren't always aligned. Right. But doing the right thing for that contractor or that company or whomever allows them to grow. They have actually a story to speak on. Like we actually care about our employees. We can prove it. Here's what we did for our employees. And that's why you should come work with us. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's, there's becoming more and more of those. And to your point on the community and being able to find those different things, we're always looking, of course, the benefit is the, is a huge resource for the patient. That's we're obviously going to try to work within that as much as we can. But I think what's something really special that's probably because I was a frontline nurse and was told too many times by the hospital administration how to fix the front lines without anybody actually listening to what what the front lines entailed, right? Um, so one thing that we do is we very much give some autonomy to our nurse doctor teams. So of course they've got guidelines and, and we practice great healthcare, but we want them to really understand and immerse themselves in the company culture and in that community. So a great example is I had a nurse call me recently who's taking care of a rural school. They have insurance. You know, it's it's not a matter of that. But most of the most of the workers are female, probably 80%, um, and most are way overdue for mammogram. And it wasn't a matter of the plan. It was a matter of they're short-staffed, they're highly loyal to each other, they don't want to take a day off of work and cause more work for someone else. Um, so it's a totally different barrier than just throwing the right insurance plan at the problem. So the nurse actually went and found the mobile mammogram clinic and you know, had it come on site um, on a work day when it was like an in-service day or something and got all of the teachers, you know, done with their mammograms. But you have to have some flexibility to say, okay, I'm trusting this nurse and doctor are going to really get in and learn what the real barriers are, not just the surface level barriers. And then how can we solve that problem? And it might be researching the community and finding out what's available. It might be finding a dental school and calling them up and saying, hey, what would you do for, you know, if we, you know, what, could, what kind of deal could you do for our patients? There's not a lot of dentists in the area, or there's not a lot of primary care doctors in the area. How can we solve that? Um, so it's very unique for, for each community. And I think that, again, back to common sense, just let them talk to the people and, and let them find out what's really going on and, and help solve that problem. Yeah. The military has a lot of the same issues, right? So a lot of the brass, they, they say uh, <laughs> wars are young men fighting old, uh, fighting fights, old men start, right? So uh, yeah. the old men don't want to necessarily sense. listen to the young guys, but the young guys are the ones out there doing it every day. Well, you know, and, and I think, you know, as a transition to that, um, you know, we, again, work with very sporadic and different types of 
companies, right? So again, contracting could be blue, gray collar, could be white collar, could be very, very um, homogenous groups of IT folks in a very defined area. But one thing that doesn't ever change regardless of the person like we talked about is that knowledge base, right? That that healthcare literacy. That's right. As you scan the country, have you found that with the kind of the awakening, so so to speak, some of these like new community-owned health plans or DPC, have you found that that's starting to get better by population or is it still really bad? Still really bad. Yeah. yeah. Still extremely reactive, right? So, you know, it's already extremely fragmented and now you've got all these innovative things coming out and almost always for the sake of innovation, I feel like. Maybe not for the sake of actually solving the problem. Probably the heart's in the right place, but you know, really figuring out, even if you have all these innovative things, even if you have all this great science, if they don't understand how to use it, if there's no, you know, really getting it into the people's hands, it doesn't matter. That's right. So there's these great community. We we do see some great community initiatives. I've seen a couple that I think work well. Um, but at the end of the day, the people that they're built for are still struggling with the same barrier of lack of health literacy and lack of education, mistrust, all the same things still seem to be very prevalent. So, you know, we always talk about communication, education, wash and repeat, right? So it's like one of those things that has to be a constant cycle. Mm -hmm. And I think, and and again, like you said, I think there's a lot of people out there really smart. The technology's gotten better, but no one wants to use another app, right? Like everybody's sick of another app. And I think healthcare has just gotten down to like the quick, but not like you said, solving the problem. Right. So as you look into this and, and the journeys started out in 2015 for you, and now you're fast forward seven years later, has has anything materially changed about the message that you started with to now? And what does the next seven years look like for modern health? Yeah, so I think materially, no, it hasn't. It's, it's still right back to, I'd say, blocking and tackling, um, helping people with basic health needs and then building on that. And none of that matters if if there's not a relationship built first. You know, we have all this great, like you said, apps and tech, but at the end of the day, healthcare is very personal. And we're talking about human behavior. Mm -hmm. So humans often, even at the bedside, when you're, you know, teaching them or educating them on, you might have this great conversation with them about diabetes and how it works and you know, all the things they need to change and and they agree with you and they're getting it, but without reinforcement, without coaching, without extra help, they kind of go home and and can come up with ways of, well, I know that's true for most people, but because of X, Y, and Z, I'm different, right? That's just human behavior. So if we don't address the human behavior piece of it, um, I don't think we're going to see real change. That's right. The last seven years, I'd say the biggest things were understanding, you know, I never wanted this to cost extra money for patients because I realized how how poorly healthcare was already designed. And I didn't feel like, you know, the very basic healthcare should be another extra burden for them when they're already spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on insurance and, you know, on medication and everything else. I didn't want to be another burden. So the hardest thing for us was figuring out how do we make sure that we build the right, you know, the right ROI, the right plan design, the right analytics. And and that's not just to have analytics and just to say, 
you know, we're innovative. It's to make sure that we can show that when you walk someone through, when you help them get healthier, when you do these things, there is this huge business case for it. And that allows, when we prove that to every employer that we're proving that to, we're not only helping them because their health literacy is very low too, um, but we're also, you know, that's kind of the barrier we have to get through to be able to help the people that we know need the help the most. It becomes a win-win for everyone. And I think our biggest thing the next couple of years focus is going to be making sure that we continue to capture all that data in a way that says, hey, it's okay. I know, I know you're used to these certain logos, but here's the numbers. Like, they're not going to lie. We're being engaged with your people, getting them the help they need it's not a huge risk. It's actually helping you and it's actually going to lower your costs and make your plan healthier. Yeah. And, and you said it, getting outside of certain logos, getting outside of that comfort zone of kind of what's been said and you've been put in um, can not only have much better results, but the cost is, as you said, fractions on most ends. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. And there's some States specifically down South that are locked into making sure they have one logo, right? They've, they've, the, the carrier or carriers have gotten so ingrained into the population's head. If you don't have this logo, right, you're, you don't have insurance. Yep. But then when people fight back against that, I found the dirty game was played. They get the doctors to tell the employers, well, because they don't have that logo, we're not going to see them and you have no access to us. And because the carrier said, your reimbursement lies with us and it's at X and they scare the people. So then the the people then weigh on the employers of saying, I can't have this doctor and I can't have this hospital when you absolutely could. And just called them and said, I'm a cash pay. Like, how does this work? Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's a hundred percent true. I think that it just has to be done. I think in a way that it doesn't disrupt the experience too much because then you know, you might like, again, you have this great new way of paying for things, but your employees don't know how to use it. So I think we have to continue to kind of buffer that front end experience and make those things successful and continue to prove out this case that, you know, you don't have to do it that way. There's a better way. 